Praise the Lord. Fantastic to be with you. We had such a great... We've been so welcomed here. That's what I like. Man, the welcome's just amazing. And your pastor got such a sense of humor. We've just sort of laughed a lot since we've been here. It's kind of like therapy, isn't it, really? <laughs> if you're wondering where I got the shirt, I got it from Indonesia. And my wife got it. <laughs> so we've got seven children and 20 grandchildren. And uh, we live in New Zealand, pastor a church there. And... Uh, so, but I wanted to pray for one couple, the guy's worship leading and his wife. You, if you're both here, I'll pray for you. Otherwise, it'll be tonight. Yes, Scott and Gina. Is that where are they? Pachina. Okay. Well, they're both here. Here we go. Great, 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 great. Come on up there. Come on. <clears throat> Praise the <laughs> Lord. All right. Okay, then. All right, we'll just take your hands. Thank you, Lord. Just come, Holy Spirit, come upon them. Lord, we just pray your anointing and blessing to fall on them today. Thank you, Lord, for your hand upon their lives, guiding, directing. Lord, just pray, Lord, for your word just to flow to them like a river. Lord, as they are just presenting themselves before you, you know their hearts, you know their lives, you know all that is happening. Well, Bettina, I just see God is taking through a season where there's been... A lot of things have sort of kind of been shaken up and uh, there's been a shaking going on in your life because of change and focus and flow. Uh, God's given you a very sensitive spirit. You have a prophetic gift around your life. I just see uh, God opening your eyes to see things, see things in people's lives, see things uh, in the word, see things in the spirit. And uh, there's a whole dimension that you have around your life that uh, you've been hungering to break out into. And uh, you've been starting to cry out to God for a little season now uh, that God would just uh, open up this realm for you. And today God's going to just pour a spirit on you. There'll be a flow of anointing that will just begin to activate in your life, prophetic gift, and uh, in the area of touching lives, touching hearts. Uh, I see you being able to see the calls and giftings around people's lives, being able to speak God's word clearly in a way that opens it up. And uh, there's, there's been such a hunger going on in your life. And uh, there's, uh, as a result of that, God's been shaking you up and uh, causing there to come around your life, just uh, a letting go of some things. And yet there's been that uncertainty about the, the, the next step. And God says his hand is on your life and uh, he will open up doors, avenues for you to uh, deepen your uh, capacity in ministering to people, bringing a word, bringing encouragement, bringing strength to them. And uh, I just see for you, uh, I see the hand of God resting on your life. I see you, uh, you just gotta, you're not just musical and, and a worshiper, but uh, you just got this great love for people. You've got a heart like a father for people. Uh, you, I see you gather them, you talk with them, you share the word of God with them. And uh, I see God's word flowing like a river out from you. But uh, again, for you also, God's just bringing uh, new dimensions of ministry in the word. Uh, to be able to heal broken-hearted people. Uh, you've sort of become very aware in the recent months just of tremendous needs. And I see you crying out and saying, God, give us keys. Show us how to really minister beyond just bringing a Bible study. Show us how to work and, uh, and to minister into people's lives. And I see you as a couple, just that the flow and depth of ministry to people coming at a whole new level now. Because uh, you, you just see that what's been, what you've been doing for the last season is not adequate for the next season. 
And so God's going to equip you in this next year in various ways uh, to be able to minister in the area of deliverance, to minister in the area of healing, to bring breakthroughs. And it'll be flowing together of just your shepherding gift and your heart of a father and the prophetic gift being able to see and discern and pull stuff up to the surface. And the Lord just is encouraging you to stretch in that area. And don't wait till you've got it all together. Just start to pray, believe, and then stretch out with your giftings. And uh, I just see the prophetic flow on your lives is the major key that will open up hearts. And uh, if you just start to believe God daily, that you can look and see and see what's not visible, to see what's, what's holding people back, what's got around their life. And then just uh, every time you meet, every time you gather, uh, take the risk of stepping out to flow prophetically. Take the risk of stepping out to flow in ministry. Move out of your comfort zone to where it requires God to come. And, uh, you know, that's a whole dimension that you've just kind of uh, has been stirred in your heart for about six months. And uh, that's where God's taking you out to. And you're going to bring some connections, going to bring resources across your path, and you're going to start to find the whole dimension of your ministry starting to open up to another level. And I see God like digging a well. And not only will it flow out to others, but I see it's also happening in yourselves. It's like you kind of have been going through shaking together in your marriage, and that shaking is to pull up stuff and get you talking at a different level. And it has got you talking at a different level. But the Lord says he's going to help you through your own experiences to be able to minister much greater depth and richness to other people. And uh, I see you pioneering and being a spokespeople for a whole area of ministry of restoration in the house. Uh, it's going to be, after a while, you know, within six months, you're going to start to see the need be much bigger than you ever anticipated. It's like you got fascinated with it about six months ago, and then now you're starting to say, oh, man, we just got to break out into this area. But soon you'll become passionate about it and start to uh, be a spokesman for a whole ministry of restoration healing in the house of God. And to do this, you need just a fresh release. And uh, I have a sense that you've been hungering for what's on my life to come over your lives. <laughs> That's why I to pray for you here today in front of everyone rather than just pray when there's none around to listen. So, Father, we just thank you. I thank you for your word coming. I thank you, Lord, that with that word comes the anointing to be able to do it. So, Lord, I just pray release. Lord, as I lay hands now, I pray for the prophetic anointing to flow from heaven. Let it come upon them right now in Jesus' mighty name. Touch them with your spirit, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Whoo, Holy Ghost, come. Amen. There you go. How's that? Watch that space. <laughs> Great. Okay, one of you open your Bible with me into uh, John chapter 16 and verse 33. And uh, we, we, because of the shorter service, we won't get a chance to minister personally so much this service. But tonight, uh, certainly we'll stay around and pray for anyone who's needing prayer, wanting prayer. And uh, I want to be just sharing on an important principle of honor and uh, how it works in our life to bring blessing. And I encourage you to come along. Uh, God will work in your heart to bring a measure of restoration and open your eyes to uh, perhaps look at your whole roots of honor uh, in your life. And uh, I believe God wants to touch us tonight. If you want to get more about our ministry, I don't carry around lots of stuff to sell. We don't sell anything. We give it all away. So <laughs> you can go onto my website, Mike Connell Ministries, and uh, you can just download anything. Just suck it all dry. And uh, I'll kind of keep generating things. Uh, to go up there. So we've got some manuals on deliverance and uh, healing and uh, activating gifts of the Spirit. You're just welcome to help yourself.
So let's have a look now in um, John chapter 16. Now this is Jesus' last message to the disciples, so a very important one, full of a whole range of things. And he has just told them that he's about to leave, and so the things he's saying are very important. And what he says here, he says, in these things, verse 33, I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. For in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So Jesus said, I've spoken some things to you. Now, one of the things that he spoke to them was he was about to release the Holy Spirit. He's about, he said, I'm leaving, but another comforter will come to you. He's, he's beginning to make known to them the Spirit of God that they'd seen working would now come upon their life. Now, notice the first promise he makes. He said, in me, you will have peace. So it's God's heart because this is his kingdom. His kingdom is right relationships, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So he's saying, you'll have peace. Uh, it's an inner peace. It's a peace that comes out of being in a place of trust and at rest in God. So no matter what's going on around you, you can find a place of peace. I was in a, in a church in, in Australia where there were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of young people there, young adults, and uh, that came up in the altar call. And the most common two issues that came up were these. Isn't this interesting? And one, depression, and the other, anxiety. In other words, no peace living under stress, living under anxiety, living under pressure, and not at rest or at peace. And God's intention is that you be able to walk through the issues of life and be at peace because you know his hand is with you, you're not alone. So Jesus said, I will get this peace, there's peace to be found, there's a promise of peace in the midst of turmoil. But he said, but in the world, in other words, when you go out, you're going to face tribulation, or the word means literally pressure and stress. So he says, he makes it very clear to the disciples that in going out and fulfilling his commission, there will be pressures come on them. And life is full of pressures. We all face painful situations. We face injustices, difficulties, setbacks. It's part of what we call life. You know, if you think it's going to be different, uh, then you, you go to heaven. <laughs> It'll be nice there, I'm sure. But, but here, we face stuff. I remember God speaking to me one time. He said, I'm not committed to your comfort. I'm committed to your character. I'm committed to your character. So we often pray for have an easy life, a life will be blessed. Bless this, bless this, bless this. But God wants to grow us. It's God's plan to grow you into the image of his son. And if you're going to grow in the image of his son and become like his son, you're going to need some challenges in life in order to be able to draw into God and grow into those qualities and character. And we tend to think that. We think we'll get saved, just go to heaven, get on with life and whatever. But actually God's plan is that you would grow like his son and you would bring his life to others. That's right. So how's he going to do that? You know, How are you going to become a forgiving person? Lord, make me more forgiving. <gasps> yes, I'll send some people to offend you. <laughs> and you have the chance to choose to draw on my grace to forgive. You'll first see how unforgiving and angry you are. Then you learn how to become a forgiving person. Well, Lord, just I want you to impart to me patience. Oh, yes. Here's some tribulation because tribulation works patience. So God is not committed to us just having the comfortable life. He's committed to growing us, to growing us to become like him. And so he says, when you go out in the world, 
There will be pressures and stress and anxiety. It's common to all men. And in fulfilling the commission, doing what Jesus wants, there are additional stresses and pressures come. But he said, be courageous. Face it with courage. I mean, you're not going to be afraid or face, not going to have difficulties. He said, face life courageously. Stand up and face and embrace the challenges of life with courage because whatever the world can throw at you, it threw at me and I overcame it and I'm living in you. You got the capacity to overcome as well. So Jesus is not telling them, oh, it's going to be very hard. You know, not like that at all. He said, be courageous. It's the same kind of words God spoke to Joshua. He said, Joshua, go out and possess the land. Be strong and of good courage. It's the same kind of mandate. Yes. You need to be courageous to be a believer Amen. because God calls you to face stuff instead of hiding and running away from stuff. Amen. Face life and engage it and bring the life of God into it. Amen. And we don't tend to see it that way. We kind of just want to hide away from life and pray God will make it all nice. So notice Jesus saying this, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So he's saying, Every believer will face difficulties and challenges. No one is exempt. And he said, but I have promised that I would come to you and help you and strengthen you so you can face whatever life dishes up. Why don't you have a look with me in Luke chapter 4. And uh, then we're going to go to the key passage in, in Psalms just a moment. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. He said, the Spirit of God is upon me. Spirit of God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now notice what Jesus said. It's the work of the Holy Ghost to do certain things in our life. So the Spirit of God that is given to you, the anointing given to you, has got a purpose. And notice what he says. The first purpose is to connect us to God, to deal with issues of sin in our life. Second, to heal the brokenhearted. Now, you only need healing if there's something being damaged inside you. So Jesus makes it very clear that you don't walk through life without getting your heart broken at times, without experiencing pain and distress. Now, if you have a physical injury, you can usually see that someone's bleeding, you can see it quite easily. But so many people have been hurt and damaged on the inside, and you can't always see it. It's not always evident, but it's still there. And those areas that were hurt, damaged, and broken inside become blockages in the areas of being intimate with God and intimate in relationships. So a work of the Holy Spirit is to heal the brokenhearted, to deal with and address the issues where we have suffered injustice or been betrayed or gone through difficulties and hardships and have experienced grief. Could be the loss of someone we love, it could be something very close to us, that a dream we had that failed. It could be a relationship with his betrayal. This is what happens in life. And we would pray that God will spare us from it all. But he said, no, actually, that's not how life works. You're going to face issues just like everyone else. But my promise is that I can engage you, heal you, and strengthen you to face these things and overcome them and be a testimony. God doesn't want to spare us from life's difficulties and hardships. He wants us to overcome in the midst of them. And that is a message and a testimony of the power of God to help people. Amen. You got the idea? Amen. See? And, and so, so, that, so we see very clearly. Now, if a person's hurt on the inside, generally what we tend to do is when we're hurt is we try to seize control of our life 
and of our relationships and protect ourselves from further pain. Now, will you understand that Jesus saves from sin? What a lot of believers don't realize, he wants to save you from the places of pain and sorrow and hardship you've had. Now, to save you from sin means you've got to stop trying to deny there's a problem and control your life and come to admit you need a savior. So to save you in the area where your heart's broken, you've got to stop trying to control all the stuff and control all your relationships and come to a place of admitting, God, I'm hurt and broken. I need you to come and heal me, and I'm willing to invite you into that room of my life where I've been holding that stuff back and it's secret and covered over. So usually what people do is when they're hurt is they build walls around the heart so they don't get hurt anymore, and then they struggle in intimacy with God and relationships the rest of their life. God wants to help you with this. The other thing we see clearly is straight after talking about the broken heart, Jesus talks about deliverance from evil spirits. Evil spirits seize the opportunity of damage in relationships, traumas in life to enter and create turmoil and to keep people frozen in their problems. And Jesus wants to help us with all of that. So we're going to have a look down into, why don't you have a look with me in uh, Psalm 84. Now you can always tell if someone's stuck in a problem. Because uh, they can't hide it. That's the problem. You can't, well, we think we can hide it. You know, we'll get used to get practice in hiding our stuff from everyone, but you can't hide really what's going on inside your heart. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4. It says, keep your heart or guard your heart diligently because out of it flows the issues of your life. In other words, what he's saying is the life that you live with its limitations is a reflection of what you've got in your heart. So that's how life works. And so you may have lots of skills and ability, but at the end, your life is determined not by those, but by what's going on in your heart. And so God says, guard your heart. When God starts to work, he's interested in your heart. That's why we say, give your heart to Jesus. We tend to give it a piece at a time as he keeps talking to us about the need to let go. And, and uh, so uh, God wants to bring change in our life. Now, if a person's got issues going on in their heart, first place you see it's in their face. You know, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, right connections, right relationship, peace, which can be felt in people, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Have you, if you've got joy in the Holy Ghost, it's not dependent on circumstances. It's an inner joy. And it flows from within. It's the presence of a person, the Holy Spirit, and your awareness of him. And so if there's joy, it would show on your countenance, first of all. If there's sorrow, that's the first place you see it too. I've become an observer of people. I look at people. I watch people. And as I walk down the street, I look at it. And you can actually see, literally see on people's countenance, sorrow. It shows. comes up. You see it in the eyes. You see it on the countenance. It shows. Sadness shows. People have got bitterness in their heart. It shows in their mouth. Get, get very... Think, oh, my God, they're sucking lemons. Or what is that? You know? Whoa! And, and, and so, so it, it shows on the countenance. If you've got stuff going on in your heart, it'll show in your countenance. It'll show in the words you speak. You know, you can't stop the stuff coming out of this business. It'll flow out like a stream, like a sour lemon. You know, and so people, you know, they get like that, you know. Uh, it, it shows up in a whole number of ways. There's other ways that these things show up too. Uh, it, it shows up in reactions. People suddenly react. Something triggers them actually, they're reacting strongly, and you know, something's going on in the heart. It shows up in relationships, people we avoid, people we react to. 
when you've got stuff in your heart, it will reveal itself in life. It's only a matter of looking, and you can see it quite clearly. And uh, yet, we don't want to see those things. But God sees them, and he wants to help us. He wants to help us be whole and healthy and in love with him and able to bring and represent him to the earth. See, church is not about the Sunday services. Church is about bringing Christ to our community. Amen. It's about being what he's called us to be. So our experience is that uh, so many uh, believers are locked on the inside in the heart. And so for them, their walk with God is a series of duties. Do this. You pray, read your Bible, go to church, give. And then that's about it. Rather than Jesus said, I come give you abundant life. That should show over somewhere, you know, should show over somewhere. I love it when we get out and get talking and, and we, we become the noisiest group wherever we are, mm. laughing too much. Yes. I've been told to be quiet because we're laughing too much. It's disturbing everyone. <laughs> It'll be disturbing. My goodness me. Need a lot more laughter. There's a lot of sad people out there, you know. Need a lot more Christians who are full of joy and can laugh. I've been in a lot of meetings where God started to move in laughter. You can't believe how resistant people were to laughing. Brother, this is a church. Be serious. Where did you get that? The Bible says in heaven, there's great joy. One of the characteristics of heaven is joy. Jesus is extremely joyful. He's anointed with the oil of joy above all his fellows. That means he had a smiling face. Most people see Jesus as a serious person. Got a world to save, you know. You know. One thing about kids is kids are never attracted to that kind of face. Kids are simple. They don't. They read your body language and face. Now they like you. I don't like that person. I don't like him. He's mean. They don't even know you, but they read your face already. See? And, and so children, young children, well, they'll, they'll respond to a smiling face. Kids love Jesus. They drew into him. People loved him and drew into him. Like, he was smiling. He was joyful. He was at peace inside. That's right. Now, you know that's not true of the person next to you, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's have a look here. Let's go where we want to go. And let's just talk about a process or journey of healing. And uh, <laughs> so let's have a look here in uh, Psalm 84, verse 5 through to 7. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, or as hard are your ways. They pass through the valley of Barca, they make it a spring or a well. The rain also covers it with pools. They grow from strength to strength, everyone appearing before God in Zion. So this valley called the Valley of Barca, and the name Barca means weeping. It means tears. It's a place uh, where people cry. And the Bible's got a whole number of valleys. So the Bible uses picture language so we can kind of relate to it. So mountaintops, yay, great experience. Valleys, we don't like a valley. We want to be on the high. See, so the Bible uses these things. And there's a whole number of valleys in the Bible. There's a valley called the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble. How many know have been in that valley, the valley of trouble? Ah, yeah, the valley of trouble. There's the valley of trouble. There's also a valley called the valley of dry bones, a, a place where there's lost hope and disconnection. And uh, God breathed into that and brought it to life. Maybe some of you in a place of lost hope, lost dreams, disconnected. 
That's a valley place called the Valley of Dry Bones. This is the valley of the shadow of death, a place of risk and danger. Yet God says, I will be with you. You don't need to be afraid. There's the valley of, uh, of Sorek, which is where Samson was defeated by Delilah, the place of temptation and failure. Some may be in that valley. It's not a great place when you've failed. When you've fallen, that's a, that's a low place. See, so there's another valley. There's the valley of what we call the Valley of Rephaim, which means the giants, a place where you're facing challenges that look like a giant and you look really small. But God caused some people to say, let's get at them. They'll be bread for us. God has always got valleys that we're going to walk through, but we don't have to stay there. It's never God's intention you stay in the valley. It's you discover him in the valley as the one who gets you through it. You discover him in the valley. Why, Jesus called the lily of the valley. The most beautiful thing when you're in the place of defeat or in a place where you're facing giants or struggles or tears or whatever, it's a place where you can find Jesus and get to know him in a way you'll never know him any other way. Amen. See, it's great to know him in the highs of worship. There's other places we get to know him. It's in the valley experiences in life. So here's some things about valleys. Number one, valleys are inevitable. They're going to happen. They just happen. You can't stop it. You just don't have that much control of your world. You can stop a valley experience happening. See, it can be a financial valley, it can be a family, marriage can be, you know, this stuff happens in life. So we experience the unexpected. That's part of life. It's inevitable. Two, a valley is a place that's painful. So we have experiences in life that are painful. But the third thing of true of valleys is they can be incredibly productive in shifting and growing you in your personal life with God. So that's the thing about valleys. So we don't have to fear them. And here's the fourth thing about a valley is God never intends you to stay in it. Blessed is the man who passes through the valley. Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death. God never wants you to stay in the valley place. The valleys were the places where battles were fought and won, battles were fought and lost. It is not a place you stay. It's a place you journey through and discover and draw on God. Now you may be in one of those valleys right now. And I want to talk with you a little bit about walking through it, coming out the other side. Particularly, we want to look at one specific kind of valley. Now, here it is. Blessed is the man who strengthens in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, who passing through the valley of Barca. That's the valley of tears. The valley of tears. Weeping. It's a sad experience. Very sad experience. We have had a number of sad experiences have come and gone through life. And how you handle them determines whether you come out with something or whether you come out uh, and your life is damaged by it. So we can come out better and having experienced God, or we can come out damaged in it. That's the choice we make. That's why it starts off by saying, blessed is the man whose strength is in the Lord. And the word strength is used there is the ability to overcome a difficult situation. Blessed is the man whose ability to overcome a difficult situation is found in his connection with God. Now, our tendency is when we're in difficult situations is to try and get control and manage the pain and work it out ourselves. God wants to come into your difficult situation and empower you to come through it in a way people say, how'd you get through that? How did you handle that? Man, I'd have crumbled if I was that. 
if I'd gone through that, I don't know how you kept sane in the midst of that. How did you do that? People seeing the reality of God in our life. God is, the, the, the Spirit of God desires to become real in your life. And it's often in the difficult places, he becomes the most real. We had an experience uh, last, uh, last year and, uh, uh, where one of our grandchildren, five months, uh, uh, my daughter was uh, five months pregnant and she lost a baby and it was just a huge upheaval for her. So I got on a plane, went over to where she was in Indonesia and uh, we went through a service in their home and uh, then we had to go to the crematorium and it's uh, just not tastefully done in Indonesia like it is in, in the West. So it's quite, it was quite a... Quite a traumatic experience, really, to tell the truth, you know, and uh, there's nothing hidden. You know, in the home, they'd sort of have everything behind a veil, but they had the whole furnace burning. I'm thinking, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> anyway, my daughter, of course, just going through the grief, tremendous grief. So I, I laid hands on her and prayed for her just at that key moment, and, and I, I said, honey, I want you to close your eyes and look and look to Jesus because he wants to show you something. And she closed her eyes and immediately the tears come because she saw, she saw Jesus like in her mind. She just got a vision, saw, him, saw her child come into Jesus' arms and pick her up and take him away. Right at the key point when that little casket was going into to be incinerated. And so at the very point, it could have been the most traumatic, was the point she engaged Jesus and experienced tremendous comfort. And I said, well, honey, she told me about that after. I said, honey, when you next time you're worshiping, go back there again and see if he doesn't show you more. And so the next time she worshiped, God showed her more and helped her on her journey through grief. And of course, I, was to, I had to take the service. And so the difficulty taking the service is you've got to kind of hold yourself together. You know, you can't be sort of up the front here and then <laughs> and I've fallen apart, you know. You, kind of, you, you sort of... One of the dilemmas in ministry is you have to arise in your spirit to meet the needs of others and park your own stuff. But, uh, and so I'm there, and this is my grandchild. And so I had to park all the stuff. And, of course, it's all busy, and then we're on the plane back home and into, into Christmas and all that kind of stuff. So it was, I, it was quite probably some weeks before I even stopped to think about it. You know, men don't try to think about stuff. You're just busy. And so I was sitting down there watching a, uh, a TV program, and someone on it sang Amazing Grace, and I began to burst into tears. And I thought, whoa, why am I? And I always do the same thing. If you feel an emotion, name it, try and identify where it's come from. What's the cause? What's the root of the thing? And I realized the last time I heard it was in the service at my daughter's home when we were grieving and saying goodbye. And so I just wept for a little while and, and I thought, well, Lord, I've never grieved properly of my grandchild. You've got to remember this, that the Bible says that we, that God of all comfort comforts us in all our tribulation. So no matter what you're facing, God is willing to comfort you because he is a God of comfort. And that word comfort is, doesn't mean put the harm around you. It means to come near to you and be with you in the middle of it. That's what God's comfort is. He comes near and he's with you. Uh, that we may be able to comfort others in their difficulties. So God's comforting is to come to you in your trouble to strengthen you in it and then give you an experience of his grace that when others are in trouble, you can say, let me talk to you about how God can help you. Yeah. 
You get the idea? So anyway, a little while later, I was teaching and sharing on how to encounter God, how to come into visions uh, and into the seeing realm. And we had a worship team there, and, and they were all kind of just experiencing God. And I felt, I should do the same, you know. This is just what I should do. So what I did was this. I just closed my eyes, began to meditate on Jesus, began to look towards him, because that's how you engage him. You meditate on him, began to meditate, and suddenly, well, I, I suddenly encountered him. And I saw, firstly, I saw two people, they're around about the age 32, so around about 32, 33, as a young girl and a young man. And they, and they said to me, oh, hello, Dad. And I was shocked. I didn't expect to hear that. They were two children that we had miscarried years ago. And that, but now they're grown. And they said, we've just learned so much here. And we have so much to tell you. And I, I'm just staggered. And then I just become aware of Jesus walking by holding a baby in his arm. And I realized it was a grandchild I'd just lost. I don't know how you know. You, there's a knowing when you have heavenly encounters. You, you just know things. And so I was able to look at my fully grown children and see them, see the details of them and know them and know, their, and know how they were gifted and how they were shaped by God and what they would look like. And, and I was able to see this grandchild. And then I saw, looked around and saw another little child. It's about the age of three. And they just said, hello, granddad. And I said, and I realized it was a grandchild we'd lost some, some time ago, about three years ago, three or four years ago. And while I'm in that place, God, Jesus began to talk to me and speak to me and began to talk to me about, this is why I tell you what he talked to me about. He showed me something else. He showed me all these lost children that had been miscarried and aborted. I just saw multitudes, like so many. And, and, then, the, and then I saw that they were the ones he was showing me, which is not all of them, were Chinese. And he said, I want you to go to China and I want you to minister because every one of them has got a mother that lost that child and is grieving. And I want you to bring healing to the brokenhearted. Now, get this. I'd gone through an experience of pain. You'd ended up with an encounter with the Lord that ended up with opening a different area of life and ministry. You see, God comforted. God allows us to go through experiences to bring something into us that makes us a different person. And it's how you respond determines your outcome. You either come out and there's the grace of God around your life or you come out bitter. And here's the thing. The choice of how you exit life's difficulties is yours, not God's. Think about that. You can see it in this verse here. Let's go through it now and I'll just give you some simple keys. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart is set on pilgrimage, who passing through the valley of weeping, they make it a well. So who makes the sad experience a well? You do. And how do you do it? It's by how you respond in the midst of trouble and difficulty. Amen. Isn't that interesting? Okay, now let's go through it and have a look at it. So blessed is the man whose strength is you. So, so notice as we go through this, I'll share with you simple keys. Here's the first thing. The first thing is the necessity to turn to the Lord and let go trying to control the situation. See, to have your strength in God means instead of trying to control and manipulate and shield yourself, you actually become vulnerable to, to Jesus. You open your heart to him. You talk to him. You let this area of your life come into connection with him. Often we just pray about things, but we don't actually open our heart to God and stop trying to control it. 
Stop trying to control it means you're going to be able to connect with your emotions and your heart. And that often means weeping. That's why it's called the valley of weeping. And many of us try to be stoic or try to overcome and, and whatever. And don't realize God gave you emotions and emotions are the language of the heart and they speak something. Jesus keeps your tears in a bottle. In other words, he is aware of all our griefs and sorrows. He's aware of those things. So the first thing is to make a decision. Instead of reacting and trying to control everything, I will actually turn to the Lord and I'll trust him to walk with me through this. That's the first decision. And I will let go trying to control it and minimize it and let God help me. I'll put it in his hands. That's actually a conscious decision to do that. The second thing you notice, it says, it said, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. To be a pilgrim is someone who makes a journey. So let's put it in simple language. Who embraces the process of change. To yeah. embrace process. Now, we love to come up in an altar call and have someone pray and fix us. I got a problem, pastor, pray for me. And they want it all fixed. Now, you just cannot fix everything with one prayer. It may have been a lifetime of addiction. You know, God can break the demonic spirit off. You can break the power of it, but you've got to act. You've messed your life up. You've, you've actually shaped the way you live. You've got to do something to embrace. There's a process of change. So in, in the Bible, there's one, the power of God to change us or to dramatically shift us at a moment, but there's also a process called repentance and faith. It's a journey with God. It's the walk of faith. So if you've been in heaps of relationships, you've damaged your life. It doesn't just get fixed with a prayer. You actually have to embrace, I will need to change. I'll need, and not just build over the top of it. I need to address the issues of brokenness, unforgiveness, bitterness, the walls are built in my heart. I've actually got to get honest with God and let him help me journey where I've built defense structures around my life. Get the idea? So it's blessing. The number one is the turning to the Lord and letting go control. And second is embracing the journey of change, the process of change, which has always got issues of truth, repentance, and faith in it. So let me show what that might involve. See, it's going to pass through the valley. So here's why people don't pass through. There's a number of reasons people don't pass through valleys. They look like they have, but they haven't. They just buried it. And the moment you talk about it, they react. Or the moment they get a reminder, they're in tears. Uh, and you know they haven't passed through it at all. I was talking to someone just uh, yesterday, a, a lovely brother in the meeting here, and he, he just started to talk. And what was uppermost on his mind after I'd shared in the first session started to come out of his mouth. He started to talk about it. And it was easy to pick out of all the things, the one that was uppermost there, it just came up. And within a moment, he was in tears. Yet this is something that happened a long time ago a dramatic impact in his life and still not resolved, still in tears until yesterday. It took bringing it to the light to actually deal with it, had to bring it to the Lord and let God deal with it in the way he deals with stuff. So we get locked in, in the past and locked in, in situations. One is because we just deny it or minimize it. Oh, it doesn't matter. I gotten over it. But actually, we haven't gotten over it. We just buried it. That's the most common thing that people do. Second thing is we blame. You did this to me. You made me. I just, you, I hear people solving. You made me. Or he made me this. No, no, he didn't make it. You, you know, he did stuff, but you chose how you responded. Amen. No one makes you mad. No. no one makes you angry. The anger's all your own. Yeah. 
is because you didn't get what you wanted. That's really all it is. Nobody took what I was entitled to. That's why people get angry, afraid, or someone's taken something, and you owe me because you've done something that I, I deserve to be treated better. So people do stuff, but we choose how we respond. It's okay to be angry, but you don't have to go down to bed with it, and you don't have to let it burst out or go down inside. You've got to own it and then resolve it. And you bring grace into it rather than judgment and bitterness. So one reason is people deny and minimize. Another reason they blame everyone else. Another reason is they harbor unforgiveness and bitterness. Sometimes they make vows and just big walls. Oh, never let anyone near me. Oh, I'll never trust anyone again. And of course, you know what? They attract all these people that can't be trusted into their life. Like a magnet. Like a magnet. Just pull them all in. If there was, you know... If there, if there was three or four tr untrustworthy people in a group of 100, those are the ones I'd be magnetized to, you know? Because inside there's this bitter thing, you know, you can never trust people. You always let you down. And by, just by chance, they pull those people into their life who let them down. That confirms it. I knew it. Just can't trust anyone. Well, the truth is that's not true. She's like saying simply, you never trust any man. They all let you down. That's not true. May have been true of some. It's not true of everyone. See? But there becomes a judgment in the heart. So people get stuck in the valley because they get stuck with judgments and inner vows and, and they build walls in the heart and control their life now. And so now they're suspicious, you know, and just waiting. I'm just waiting. You know, I know you're going, I knew it, you know. And, and it's like they're looking for something to happen. You know, I knew you didn't like me. What? I didn't even notice you. But he hates me. I know he hates me. You know, I've had all that kind of stuff, you know. It's just amazing, you know. But you see, you'll see life out of what's in your heart. So you get two people at the door there, and, and one of them's just got total rejection in their life, got a judgment that, that no one wants them or accepts them or anything like that. Pastor walks in, he's busy, walks by, and they both say, hi, Pastor, and he just doesn't notice them. He's sort of engaged in something else. And one says, oh, Pastor's busy, you know. I'll catch up with him later. Didn't hear me, obviously. The other one says, he doesn't like me. I know he doesn't like me. You know, he said, no, he said both of them had the same experience, but saw it differently out of what was in their heart. You see out of what's in your heart. You've got judgments. That's how you see life. So this is a dilemma so many people have. They're stuck with all these things in there. So how are we going to deal with it? Well, it's quite simple in the process. Number one, we turn to the Lord and let go control and invite him in. Number two, we need to face the situation honestly. Now face the truth. What happened? What did I feel? How did it affect me? I found it's a huge thing to just admit Actually, I'm really deeply broken and grieved over this. To not minimize it, but bring it to the light. Because the next thing will be forgiveness. And one of the things I've noticed about forgiveness, you know, is this, I, I remember, you know, this girl come to the church and she'd been deeply abused. And one of the lovely ladies said, well, you just need to forgive. I said, forgive? I think I should beat you on the face. <laughs> you absolutely have no idea what I have been through. And you're glibly saying I need to forgive. You're putting a patch on the problem without connecting with me, the person. So when people have been desperately hurt, the first thing they need is someone to say it's okay to be hurt and to feel angry and in pain. And if you talk to me about it, I'll validate that's okay to feel that way. But then the next thing is to let it go. And often people don't forgive. They forgive from the head, but their heart, no way. You know, the head say the word, oh, okay, I forgive them. I forgive them. You just know, they haven't forgiven anything. 
This prayed a silly prayer. And it just had no heart in it because the heart is saying, I don't care what you're saying, I'm not letting go. I'm really angry and they owe me. And until the heart is now, Jesus said, forgive from the heart or the tormentors come and deal with you. So demonic spirits afflict so many people with depression, sickness, weakness, all kinds of troubles, torment. Why? Because they haven't opened their heart to let go from their heart. That's why we worship God. It's interesting about how you worship God. Worship God. Those who worship God must worship him in spirit from within and in truth. But that word truth means without concealing anything. But when you come and you're hiding all the stuff in your heart, oh, praise you, Jesus, you know, and inside you're thinking, I've got so many people in church I'm upset with and some just had a row outside there. How can you worship and connect with God when you've got stuff going on that grieves the Holy Spirit who's kind and tenderhearted and forgiving? So we need to just acknowledge the pain and grieve over it, then release forgiveness. Just forgive people. The best place to forgive is after you acknowledge the pain and grieve. Then sometimes we've got to repent of how we've held judgments and say, God, forgive me for I've blamed you. I've been angry at you. I remember being in a place where we'd gone through a terribly difficult experience. Uh, one of our daughters, uh, we had uh, discovered through a much painful situation that happened, had been raped. And I was absolutely devastated. Both of us were devastated. And... I want to share all the story. I'm going to share just this part of it because it's appropriate. And she'd hidden this thing for about four years, just a shame to bring it to the light. And then at 16, it came up to the, it just couldn't hold it down anymore. It just started to surface. And we had these dramatic events and couldn't figure out why there were these dramatic events. And then we had an incident that involved the police and it finally came out, this is what was underneath and behind it all. Now, I was just shocked. Joy was shocked because we kind of committed our family to the Lord, and we believe we're serving the Lord with all our heart, and we believe that God would protect and care for our family. So this just shattered our world. And the, the, the thing that you could trust God to look out for you, which I had built everything in my life on, suddenly was just blown out of the water. And I felt afraid. I felt I can't trust God anymore. And I was angry. And I didn't know how to process it. And, you know, the whole family's in grief over this and we're struggling with the whole deal and how to deal with it. And, uh, and so we would just sit and just worship and put music on and then weep because you really got to engage your heart first of all. And I, I could hardly talk to God about it. I was so angry with him. And, uh, and, and yet I got to preach on Sunday. And th this is the kind of the, the, the dilemma of how you can actually engage life and bring God into it and yet be still working on stuff in your own life. They go hand in hand. This is part of the dilemmas in the Christian life. And Jesus said, don't be offended if you find yourself in that place. You can be a leader having to bring God to others, and then desperately in your own life, you're trying to find him on an area. And uh, it may be your family, it may be personal, whatever it is. And so I can remember, and I say, well, God, you know, when I go into church, the moment I walk through that, the moment we drive across that, that uh, gateway, I just believe for your grace to come, and I'll be free to minister. And I would, we'd drive down the road crying. The moment we crossed the gate, the grace of God would come, and I could stand up, share the word of God, bring blessing or whatever, go out, and we'd suddenly feel the pain. And uh, certainly I got alone with God one time, and I began to weep. And, and, and someone had said, well, if you want to say something to God, what would you say? 
And I remember sitting there weeping and then saying, I don't trust you. You've let me down. It just came out of my heart. So that's what I really believed. Well, on Sunday, I'm praying, trust the Lord. You know? <laughs> but the heart was saying, yeah, I'm hurt. And, and I remember there was this long silence. And I thought, oh, I've really done it this time. And then I heard God say this. He said, when you, I said, I was saying these things, God, I've prayed, nothing's happened, you, you've let me down, I prayed for my children to be protected and kept, this has happened, I feel like I can't trust you, why would I pray anymore? And there was a silence. He said, I'm not committed to your comfort, I'm committed to your character. And then he said, I know how you feel when I see my church defiled and I feel about my church the way you feel about your daughter. And then I wept. It was different. It was like two people who understood similar things. Yeah. And so I got to know him in a different way that day. And then God, and we may share it another time, did the most amazing miracle in our daughter's life. He, he extraordinarily touched her life and brought her through with a miraculous deliverance and freedom and actually an angelic encounter that restored her life. It's quite extraordinary. So, but you've got to grieve the loss and release forgiveness where you've got blame going against someone. And maybe repent where there's hardness or bitterness or judgments or whatever in your own life. And reach out and say, well, God, now I thank you. You can bring your love to me. So notice it said they pass through the valley of weeping and make it a well. Every time you encounter God in your place of distress, you are turning your distress into a well to bring blessing to others. There's someone waiting for you to break through. There's someone needs you to break through in God because you're going to connect with them and give them hope they could get a breakthrough as well. That's how the Christian faith spreads. We bring the testimony of how Christ helped us. It's not just a doctrine or a teaching it's a person who came to another person in real life and helped them walk through life. That's what our journey is about. Blessed is the man who strengthens in the Lord, who passing through the valley of sorrows makes it into a well. They go from strength to strength in God. Your challenges, your difficulties are not to destroy you. They're to give you opportunity to go from strength to strength to strength and to experience God in the midst of it. But you choose how you respond. And we just close our eyes right now and just finish up now.